0: Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit Stripe.com tapiphone Tap iPhone.
1: Daily Tech News Show is made possible by its listeners. Thanks to all of you, especially our patrons. Get, remember, you can get an ad-free version of the show and more at Patreon.com D-T-N-S. Coming up on the DTNS Weekend Edition, photo pricing transparency and new cameras galore. Now, with film. This is the Photography News for the month of October 2022 in lovely Cleveland, Ohio. I'm Rich Straffolino.
2: And north of the wall, I'm Anthony Lemos. You know, during the weeks every month
1: in Daily Tech News Show, photography news sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. So, once a month, we shine a spotlight on it, bring to you the adoring and perhaps interested public. Let's start with a little bit of photo news you might have missed in the Quick Hits.
2: Nikon continued the recent trend of camera manufacturers releasing firmware that goes well above and beyond the original capabilities of the camera's original specs. The 3.0 firmware for Nikon's Z9, or Z9 if you're like me, camera introduces a high-resolution mode that provides a digital two-times Parfocal zoom, a C60 mode that captures 19 megapixels, still images at 60 frames per second, improved autofocus, and brings the high frequency flicker reduction mode to video, among several other minor improvements. Software Digital Zoom is making a comeback on
1: Pro Bodies. Weird, <laughs> weird. All right, next up here, Atomos, the Australian company most well-known for their Ninja line of video monitors. If you've ever watched a camera YouTube video, you've seen an Atomos Ninja. They've thrown their hat in the Cinema 8K sensor ring. A result of their acquisition of the broadcast equipment from Grass Valley several years ago, Atomos says they are exploring opportunities to commercialize its unique IP and is in discussions with several camera makers, though no specifics were given for either the camera makers they're working with or the specifics of the 8K sensor.
2: Some great news came this month for traveling photographers and videographers. First, DaVinci Resolve is coming to M1 and M2 based iPads later this year, supporting H.264 and H.265 formats, HDR video, multi-user collaboration, and is fully compatible with DaVinci Resolve 18 project files.
1: Yeah, doing that high-end editing on your iPad. I like it. More of that. All the editing suites on all the platforms, please. Adobe, on the other hand, announced native camera to cloud integration for select Red and Fujifilm cameras, allowing for a full cloud-based 8K proxy workflow available in early 2023. Fuji actually put out a video on this that was somehow funny. It was very weird. The announcement comes as Adobe (laughs) begins its integration with Frame.io, which it acquired last
2: year. As if to intentionally throw gasoline on the fiery argument of whether or not we need dedicated cameras when everyone is already carrying a camera in their phone, Xiaomi unveiled the 12S Ultra Concept phone. While it is nearly identical to the Xiaomi 12S announced back in July, the new concept is designed with the capability of mounting any Leica M lens to its second 1-inch 50.3 megapixel sensor. At more than $40,000, though, the concept phone may stay just that, a concept. And
1: keep in mind, you'll be having a 2.8 crop times crop on your Leica lenses, so your Summicron becomes a 135-millimeter telephoto. That's
2: also, what everyone... Also, the, uh, the 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 Xiaomi 12S is so svelte, and then you're going to have this other pocket with <laughs> <Giant>. this huge <laughs> lens in it. But, okay. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Put your Sumalux on there. It'll be great. All right, let's talk a little bit more about some of the bigger stories from the last month. The film resurgence is real, folks. Kodak recently announced it needs to hire film technicians to meet demand, already bringing on 300 people in the film and chemical wings in the last 18 months and tripling film production shifts. We've definitely seen this interest uh, interest this year with the release of several new film stocks, but putting out new cameras remains tricky plenty of companies are putting out reusable disposable style cameras. Heck, even Target sells one now, but releasing a more complex film camera takes a lot of investment. Well, this month we saw two interesting releases on opposite ends of that exact market.
1: Yeah. And it's it's interesting that we're seeing them kind of not trying to hit one specific price point, right? On the low end, we saw analog stalwart lomography release the Lomo Apert. Now, Lomo does release film cameras with, uh, I would say some regularity. And like most lomography cameras, it's a hunk of plastic, has a few interesting elements though. So it's, it's not, it's a step above perhaps some of these kind of reusable disposables. Uh, it uses a, a, uh, when, when you're talking about those kind of cameras, they use generally like a 38 millimeter lens, kind of a, almost approaching a normal focal length. The Lomo Apert, however, uses a wide angle 21 millimeter lens and allow for some interesting perspectives. It can focus up to 0.5 meters away just on its own. And it comes with a close focusing adapter that'll get you down to 0.2 meters and you can get some really crazy distortion there. I'm sure probably some healthy vignetting as well. It's lumography, So it also comes with colored gels integrated into the flash kind of comes in a little uh, tab. You can kind of push down to get different colors and other experimental lens attachments. You can do a kaleidoscope and Go go nuts with all your Lomography stuff. And you'll need that flash since the lens is fixed at f10 with a 1 100th shutter speed, so kind of is similar to some of those reusable plastic ones out there as well. But it starts at an affordable
2: $89. Yes, but on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, Leica announced the re-release of its iconic M6 rangefinder. Should excite a lot of people. The original M6 run produced 175,000 cameras from 1984 to 2002. The re-release gets some updates on the iconic design with a 0.72 magnification viewfinder and modern electronics. That's in quotes. It is <laughs> not clear if Leica like, actually changed anything under the hood or just that they're not, uh, you know, 20 to 40 year old electronics like existing M6s. It's available for pre-order for a cool $5,295. Yeah. The, the Leica is interesting
1: because there was a rumor, I think late, even late last year, that Leica was going to put out a new film camera, right? And as, you know, what, one of the companies that's still doing that, uh, up for like a high-end kind of, you know, not a, not a lamography camera, right? A, 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 quote unquote serious uh camera uh that excited some people that oh maybe this you know maybe a luxury but maybe something I can afford. Um but it turns out that the M6 is almost the exact same price as there were two other film cameras that they still make the MA and the MP, right? Yeah automatic and (laughs) manual or what they they make two other film cameras. (laughs) This does look like an M6 and for Leica people that makes a big difference i mean all of their cameras outside of the m5 uh in the m line look pretty much identical by design you don't want right. to mess up something that iconic uh the the magnification viewfinder i know that seems like a minor spec that's actually very useful the higher magnification it's like if you had a 1 times magnification that means when you look through the viewfinder it's like it's looking same. through a straight pane of glass yeah, it, it would you know 1 to 1 that's useful. The higher magnification is useful for wider, or for faster lenses. So if you're shooting your 1.4 Simulux or whatever, or some of these uh, third party Chinese lenses that go really fast, like 0.95 and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you want that magnification to be able to nail critical focus. So that, that's useful. I, I don't know if it's worth, I mean, for me, it's not worth that because I don't have that money. Right. ergo <laughs> – go. It is not useless, but I'm encouraged like that still requires them to like they had to make all new, uh uh you know, like molds and stuff like that. They had to get all their tooling in line. You know, I, I joke that this is the same price as their other like a stuff, but th- there was investment to do this and to to get that supply chain up and running, even if this is going to be a fairly limited release.
2: I just want to know. So we have the high end, the fifty three hundred dollar camera, and we have the low end, the ninety dollar camera. Do we need to reach a certain amount of scale in this range before we start finding the mid-range options? Is that what we're waiting on here? Is that is that the next pro- progressive step?
1: There have been some calls for yeah, kind of it, to to fill in that void, and especially around like kind of the iconic thirty-five millimeter SLR. There are still a ton of those, uh, obviously used on the used market. That was the dominant. You know, camera design for 20 or for 40, 50 years or something like that in, in film. So there are a lot out there. The problem is, especially for 35 millimeter, you have to be able to miniaturize stuff to such a degree. And shutters turns out are one of the big things that are hard to miniaturize. Um, there are companies like, uh, Coppell and stuff like that, that are out there. They'll make them, but you need to put in an order for like, you know, tens of thousands of them. Right. They're not going to make them for your Kickstarter if you're only making You know, a couple thousand of them. So the, the problem that we've seen, and we've seen a a couple of Kickstarter projects that get canceled as a result of this. Um, I know Mint Camera is making, I think we talked about this last month. Uh, they're, they're going to be trying to do a smaller, uh, 35 millimeter camera that's at a more, the kind of in between these two, somewhere in between these two, maybe a thousand, maybe, you know, more than that. Um, and I, I do think there is some market demand for that, especially as, you know, the, the newest film cameras are now 20 years old.
2: Yeah. Well, going from pricing cameras to pricing pictures. <laughs> we got some news in that arena, Rich.
1: Yes, really interesting stuff uh coming out uh the, the you know, it's always just kind of a weird thing to to price work. You don't want to underprice it, you're leaving money on the table. Yeah, maybe you'll move some units. Too high, you ain't selling anything, um even if it's uh, your fancy NFT. Uh in the age of the internet, we still have weird things like regional variability. Cause if, especially if it's a print, you're selling physical objects. So either you're shipping that, you exist within a local market. Mm-hmm. It gets really tricky. Um, and, you know, photographers a lot of times get into this because they like to take photographs, not because they like to run a, business. a small business, right? right? Um, so like the, the idea here is, maybe if you follow some best practices, but there's a lot of trial and error. They're just kind of fundamentally part of pricing work at this point.
2: Yeah. And uh, it'd be nice if there's a single solution and the makers of photography platforms in folio are trying to make, you know, that exact solution to take the guesswork out of the whole thing. They announced a new feature called smart pricing to determine optimal pricing for prints and products. This uses historical sales data And takes into account things like genre, geographic location, even local printing fees. These prices can be integrated directly with Zenfolio's integrated marketplace offering. I am exactly the photographer that you mentioned. I (laughs) love taking pictures. I don't want to have to spend the time to try to sell my art. It's It's not a business proposition that my business relies on. But it would be nice to have it out there, and this is interesting. For that, my concern, as I think you might agree with me, is that this is just this is just one place where this is taking place. You know, the, these, these prices are being paired. It's not necessarily the whole market, so I think it's a matter of scale.
1: Well, I mean, Zenfolio is a, is a pretty big name in the space, and so I imagine. They have the date. They already have this data in hand. They know probably like if you price your print at a certain price, you're going to move, you know, X amount of you. You know, you have a higher likelihood of of moving so many units within your market and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So it's like, I am not surprised that they're doing this. I'm honestly shocked they didn't say they're using AI for this. I read over their press release like three times. They don't mention AI. Kudos Zenfolio for doing this. And and I agree I, I have a couple of concerns. My biggest one is. I don't blame Zenfolio for doing this. I think this is really smart and honestly relieves a pain point for a lot of photographers, kind of mm-hmm. what their whole business is on. Like Photographers don't want to manage websites. Okay, you go to Zenfolio and you have you know your pretty website. You don't want to manage pricing. Zenfolio will take care of that, help you take care of that uh, for yourself. My problem is I would rather have this data set be available through an organization, uh, like ha- have some way to... To make this available on an even wider basis so that if you're a member of Working Photographers of America or whatever organization or some, something like that, yeah. that you could access it that way instead of it being a proprietary Zenfolio feature. Again, I don't blame them for doing this. That's just in my my weird open source perfect world. I would rather have this… Be a be like uh, like a standard that you could tap into, versus uh, uh, you know versus a feature for a product. Admittedly, one that does sound pretty tempting.
2: Yeah, I think the problem here is that a lot of what you need, uh, a lot of what a photographer needs to do in order to make this work is the extra work that we don't want to do if we're just interested in taking pictures, yeah. such as labeling everything, adding the metadata, the locations, and all that kind of stuff. But this will be interesting to watch to see how this works and how many people actually take up on it. And then also I would love to see, and I'm, I'm sure they'll, they'll not like it too much, but I would love to see what PPA, the professional photographers of America comes out and says about this, if anything at all. Um, th- that would be the kind of platform where Zenfolio, if they had an agreement with PPA, that this could be, you know, this could become the standard. So. I don't know. this. I'm, I really have a lot of questions about this. I won't be using it because I, I, I don't I, – <laughs> I, I, I guess I don't care enough to sell my art.
1: <laughs> well, I, I just realized what the dystopian version of this because I mentioned that they didn't use AI. When they do integrate AI is when you upload your picture and they let you know it's like, oh, you have a banger here and they like quality you know they they make the qualitative judgment right, on top of right. on top of this kind of mechanical judgment which i actually do appreciate that it's disconnected from aesthetics right other than genre perhaps of like landscape street photography that kind of stuff so um interesting i will i the one thing i also i hope is that it doesn't start a race to the bottom like if you know like if they're recommending you do like $89 then you, you know, maybe you think, oh, I can jump the market a little bit. And if everybody's doing this, I can, I can outthink it. That would be my only other concern, but it's certainly interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs)
1: All right. Well, if you want to run down every single day of just the tech headlines, then you need to check out our related show daily tech headlines, all the essential tech news in about five minutes at dailytechheadlines.com.
2: We don't like to get too far into the announcements on the show unless there's really something to be excited about. But there was an absolute avalanche of announcements last month and up to the November 2nd. Um, And the only way to get past our excitement is, of course, to talk about them. Everyone wanted to get their cameras out
1: ahead of the holiday season. I get it. We're going to start out here with OM Digital Solutions, formerly known as Olympus's camera division. They announced the OM5. It's utilizing a 20.4 megapixel micro four-thirds sensor. It's IP53 dust and water resistance, uh, so that's kind of iconic across uh, their lines, but they're They're actually naming the spec that they hit, which I do appreciate. 5-axis IBIS that can provide up to 7.5 stops of stabilization when paired with stabilized lenses, and 121 cross-type phase-detecting autofocus points. Shout out, OM Systems, for keeping cross-point focusing points alive. Computational photography in the camera brings a 50-megapixel high-resolution mode, focus stacking, starry sky autofocus, and a live neutral density mode, which is very cool when you see the demo. 4K video at 30 frames per second rounds out this $1,200 camera.
2: Yeah, and Sony aims to attract social media bloggers with its ZV1F, or ZV1F, or why do they do this to us? <laughs> compact camera, packing a Type 1 sensor and fixed 20 millimeter equivalent lens at f2.0. The camera comes with a fully articulating screen, 8-bit 420 video, 4K at 30 frames per second, or 1080p at 120 frames per second all for just $500. I can't wait to dig into that one. Fujifilm screams APS-C
1: lives with the X-T5, rounding out kind of a trio of high-end cameras for them. A 40-megapixel, 15-frame-per-second camera with seven stops of IBIS, two-axis tilt rear screen, so it doesn't do the fully articulating, it tilts out, a dual uhs two SD card slots. It has video capabilities that range from 4K 60-frame-per-second to 6.2K at 30-frame-per-second in F-Log2, F-Log, or HLG. Notable, no open gate. Additionally, the X-T5 inherits the 20-shot pixel shift mode from the popular X-H2 that creates a 160-megapixel composite image
2: through software. All of this for $1,700. And here's the cheat. This actually came out on November 2nd, but we couldn't help (laughs) but wrap it in here, too. Canon isn't sitting still with its RF mount lineup, refreshing one of its more popular cameras with the R6 Mark II. How creative, can it? (laughs) It uses a 24.2 megapixel sensor, although not backside illuminated or stacked like it's R3, which was some of the rumors because they are the same same size sensor. Mm -hmm. It can shoot up to 40 frames per second with the electronic shutter. Pretty good. Shoot oversampled 4K 60p video without crop and longer recording times and up to 1080 video. At 180 frames per second, slow motion. Plus, it gets the same updated autofocus algorithms from the R3. It costs the same as the original R6, $2,500. And we got to talk about Sony again because
1: one of the biggest announcements this month comes from them with their A7R5 by all accounts, a dramatic improvement over the R- A7R4. That was already one of the best regarded mirrorless cameras on the market, especially when we talk about high resolution models. The A7R5 comes with a 60 megapixel sensor, improved autofocus, eight stops of IBIS. You're going to need them with all that megapixels, 8K video at 24 frames per second or 4K at 60 frames per second or 4K 30 with no crop, a fully articulated screen with this cool kind of tilt-out cradle, and a multi-shot 240-megapixel mode using Pixel PixelShip. You also got focus bracketing, continuous shooting at 10 frames per second with flash, and faster Wi-Fi riding out their latest offering. Don't come cheap, though. $3,900 for that body. I, I guess uh, we'll-, we'll just open this up. Which uh, Which one stands out here the most to you?
2: Well, first of all, I want to say that we try to keep all of these to just their unique attributes instead <laughs> of just giving you everything. So not all the, the not all the the, the announcements yeah, are in here, for sure. Um, I really do like the Alpha Seven R Five. I hate the name, like I do all <laughs> Sony names, but it's it really does seem to be like when you when you think about incremental improvements because by design and this is this is a follow-up to the a7r4 right so mm-hmm. you want that incremental improvement you want to see a lot of the stability in the brand with everything improved and they have done exactly that that this is how you improve a model you come in higher resolution more video modes uh you know this the continuous shooting 10 frames a second that doesn't seem like much but that's with synchronous flash that, so that's crazy that's That's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, Little things like that really kind of set this one apart from the others. And by all the reviews, it's phenomenal.
1: Yeah, it does seem like Sony, especially with the R line, is almost doing like an iPhone. Like they released the standard version, then the S version. And this is the S version to the four, right? Because it really isn't fundamentally like it's a faster processor, but it's the same 60 megapixel sensor. All accounts you know, very good sensor. Uh, but yeah, just like everything is just like it's a more, it just feels more stable from everything, right. all the reviews out there. And this to be, this and the, the Fuji one, not to be a Fuji uh, fanboy or anything like that. I do think this is an interesting trend of really making instead of having this this market difference between your high megapixel and your kind of everyday camera, obviously Sony still maintains like the the A7 IV uh, and stuff like that, and the A7S line and stuff like that. But this feels like outside of the price, like a camera you could use Every day. It's not like just this, this, uh, high megapixel. Oh, this is only for landscape or this is only for very specific niches of photography. This feels like an incredibly well-rounded camera, especially when you talk about the video specs and the fact that you pop into that. I like, I, I love the idea that you can just pop into APS-C mode and you're still getting 24 megapixels of resolution <laughs> and basically getting, you know, uh, like a teleconverter built into your camera. I, right. I really do like that. Can I, uh, uh, talk some smack about one of these announcements? Uh, please. Okay. So the OM5, I actually love, um, all of these new, um, OM systems cameras. I want them. I don't, I don't want to buy into a potentially micro four third system because I don't have confidence it's going to be around. I I kind of love all these tiny little weather sealed super light cameras. Mm -hmm. No, the one that draws my ire is Sony with the ZV one F because when I first read the specs on this, I was like, this is the camera, right? I was, I, cause I've been using a. Uh, Sony RX100 IV as a kind of a webcam kind of thing. And I like it as it's a small pocketable mm-hmm. camera. Mm-hmm. It has some flaws. It's really beat up and not in great shape. <laughs> so it's, it's not the best thing to use. But I was like, Oh man, fixed, uh, uh, you know, uh, like a fixed lens. It's a fast F2 lens. That's livable. This is like a way cheaper, uh, you know, Fuji X100 or Ricoh GR3. It's like half the price. What Sony took out their autofocus system from this camera. It doesn't use – it uses contrast detect autofocus, which is the same focus on the RX100 IV. You've seen me on DTNS with this camera. You've seen how it just – I'm sitting still. It is a fixed, locked-off shot, and that thing loses focus on me all the time. Because contrast detect – for photos, it's great. Video, it's pulsy. It pulses. Mm -hmm. It pulses. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why you would do this on a ostensibly a vlogging camera, right? It's has that nice wide angle lens. It's perfect for, you know, you're you're yep. putting out in front of you, you're doing your vlogging. Except it has the buggy autofocus system. Just whatever you needed to do. Charge me two hundred dollars more. It's still yeah. gonna be cheaper than the regular Z V one. Put the good autofocus in, Sony. Why?
2: Yeah. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna expand on that just a little bit and attack the canon here for a second. Okay. All right because I have the R5. It's got a uh, arguably better sensor than the R6. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a higher megapixel and everything else. But they all have essentially the same processor. How are you going to like make the improved autofocus from the R3 put that in the R6 and make that one of the major selling points when they all have the same processor? You didn't really change the the sensors too much. So why not just bring that down in a firmware update? Like, we were just talking about that. It, it, it just drives me mad. Like, don't don't make the software a reason to upgrade the hardware.
1: I, so I have a conspiracy theory about the Canon, I, I, and I have no evidence to back this up. This is just me thinking here. It used it a 20-megapixel sensor, right? I, I swear I've heard people say that that was the same thing in the D6 II. Like I, I what I think is that that sensor was just old and they could get some more life out of it with the original R6 and still put, and with a fast processor, they could still do 4k and they could yeah. still make it a modern camera. And I think they just like reach the point where they're like, well, we're not going to be making, we're, we have less use for this old sensor. We can upgrade that. And it's a sideway, you know, it's, it's not much of an upgrade, but we're also not charging you more for it. And like, so if you need yeah. the R6, just buy whichever R6 is the exact same price and you'll probably get the same, roughly the same function. It's Canon. Come on. They're, yeah. you know, what, what do we expect? And, and the they other, did
2: just disconnect, uh, discontinued the, the D6 or so the 6D Mark II. 6D yeah.
1: Mark II. I, I, so yeah. oh, oh, you hate Sony naming. I, I, canon naming is the devil. Don't make the numbers smaller when the camera's better. That's yeah. my philosophy in life. This you is know true. this. This is true. The the only other thing I will say, the kind of trend wise that I'm seeing here, and this is goes for the the Fuji XT5, that is very similar to their XH2. Also, I mean, a couple, you know, it's three hundred dollars cheaper. I'm not complaining. I'm not going to be buying it, but I'm not complaining. Also, but it's interesting that I/O is the big difference between those two cameras, right? The uh uh the it uses what what are those the CF Express cards on the XH2. This right. is SD card on the XT5. What that enables is ProRes recording because you have those faster write speeds on the XH2. It also is unlocking, or at least it's tied to Open Gate recording, so getting kind of the full width uh, of the sensor when you are recording that. And I, I imagine we are going to kind of see this uh, bifurcation of you know your your pro. I, I, we're already seeing pro your pro cameras, uh, prosumer, and high end cameras already embracing CF Express but I think we're going to see that as a continued trend of this is a like a more so than sensor resolution more so than even like video resolution anymore that capabilities are going to be tied to iO and might also be why we're seeing more cameras increasingly with integrated storage because you can do super fast uh, nvme storage in your camera that kind of enables all of these different modes that you can't get. Even with the fastest, you know, uh, UHS 2 uh, slots on your SD cards,
2: there's room for everyone to improve. And also, not on this list, Nikon. We didn't see any major Nikon
1: Yeah, the Z30, right? Or the Z50? No, Z30, their
2: little vlogging cam. I think it was yeah. their
1: last camera.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Nikon. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's check out the mailbag and see what's got, what we got going on there.
1: Yeah, we've got uh, Komei wrote in, and he just wanted to thank us for sticking to the facts and staying away from rumors that lack credibility. Komei, don't worry. We're still reading the rumors. We still read them all. I yeah. salivate over them. I love the rumors, but <laughs> I don't bring them to our audience because we we honestly just don't know. So we will keep uh, keep doing that.
2: And and let's just be honest. We, we don't have time for all the rumors with all of, all of our hot takes on the things <laughs> we don't like with some of the things we talk about. So there's that. There's, there is also that. Uh, but we would love to hear from you. Let us know uh, what photo news stories we missed or tell us what you think of our formats, of our opinions, or just 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 your thoughts in, of photography in general. Feedback at DailyTechNewsShow.com with the subject Photo News Monthly. And that is our way of, of me sorting it, actually, is is all it is, just me sorting it. If you don't Absolutely. put, just put photo in the subject line. That's really all it needs. Just put photo in the subject line and I might find it. And
1: when you write us in, let us know who's a photographer we need to check out. That's what I want to know from our audience. If you're listening to this, you're a photo geek. I want to know who to check out because I'm always looking for new stuff. So send that in. Uh, feedback at dailytechnewshow.com. is a great idea. And remember to catch Daily Tech News Show, sometimes with camera news, live Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 2100 UTC. You can find out more at DailyTechNewsShow.com slash live. We'll see you next month.
2: This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit FrogPants.com audio program so good it's like you're there Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program
0: (laughs) Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy so I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life